Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The story of the film industry in Louisiana has a plot about as melodramatic as Gone with the Wind. Starting with an insignificant share of the nation's film business, by the early 2000s, we had become the largest producer of movies in the United States. We called ourselves Hollywood South. We were actually producing more movies here than they were in Hollywood. The reason was the state of Louisiana's very generous tax incentive system. Louisiana paid movie producers over 30% of their budget in actual cash. Predictably, the legislature eventually balked at literally giving away billions of dollars and Hollywood moved on to greener pastures where new tax credits uh, continued to blossom, primarily in Georgia. But wait, that's not the end of the story. Every great movie has a plot twist. When the hero is down and you think he can never recover, they bounce back. And that's what's happening to the Louisiana film tax credit system. Today, we're seeing a rebound in the film business in Louisiana and New Orleans specifically. Trey Bravant has been a part of the local film business since he moved back to New Orleans in 2006. Trey is an accomplished actor with impressive screen and stage credits. He's the president of the Louisiana Film and Entertainment Association. He's a film producer, and he's the studio director at Second Line Stages. And I might add, Trey, this is not your resume. This is a list of current daily activities. You're a stage and screen renaissance man, and welcome to Out to Lunch. <laughs> Thank you for that generous introduction. Oh, very appropriate, really. The, uh, Scott Nehemiah is also a local boy who has been lured back home by the Hollywood South film industry. Scott was raised on the West Bank, but he got out pretty young and spent 30 years building a film production business in Hollywood. You've probably seen some of Scott's movies, like Pitch Perfect or the sequel to My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Scott and his company, Gold Circle Films, still produce movies in Los Angeles, but Scott now has a parallel life as CEO and founder of Deep South Studios. Deep South Studios is a $64 million investment in a movie production facility that Scott is building from scratch just off the bridge in Algiers. Scott, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, Peter. Trey, I'll start with you. You're a talented actor and an astute business person. In the past 12 months alone, you managed to put together the financing and production for the extremely impressive indie film, The True Don Quixote. You starred in a very well-received stage production of a play called The Doll's House, Part 2, and all the while you've managed the various strands of business at second-line stages. In Hollywood or Manhattan, any one of these occupations would be a full-time job and make you a very good living. Although it's impressive you can accomplish all this in an average workday, the bigger question is, does someone in the film business need to have multiple streams of income to work here? So what I'm asking is, are you just an overachiever, or is it difficult to make a living working a single job in the film business here? 
you can have a livelihood here in the film industry. Um, there, the film industry right now supports close to over 14,000 jobs, whether that's direct or indirect. Um, it also depends on what part of the business you want to be in. Um, if you are a below-the-line crew person, uh, meaning those, the grip, the gaffers, the craft service, the carpenters, the electricians, the uh, cameramen, um, they have um, opportunities uh, tenfold to have really great successful careers. If you're an actor or a writer or a director on the above the line piece, I think it's a little more tenuous because those jobs um, uh, are much more hard to, to maintain. Scott, $64 million is a lot of money to invest in anything. Its significance is even greater as an investment in the economy of the West Bank. Even though I imagine the figure $64 million that it's costing to build Deep South Studios is not all cash, some of it is made up of state and local development incentives and other investments, it's still an enormous vote of confidence in the Louisiana film industry. Any investment comes with a degree of risk. But it seems like the future return on investment in a Hollywood-style production facility in New Orleans might be subject to the unpredictable whims of legislators in Baton Rouge who may not be permanently convinced about the wisdom of using tax credits to lure production here. If the legislature changes its mind, could Deep South Studios fall apart? Or is it the case of build it and they will come, where creating something of this magnitude will just attract business? Well, ultimately, the business is here, so we, we're only building something that is meant to serve what already has come. So the industry has um, uh, returned to a multi-hundred million dollar level in the, in the state of Louisiana, um, and the, the reality is that the state really didn't ever abandon the program. The state has one of the longest running programs in the United States uh, that goes back to 2002, and the misconception that that the legislature um, decided to get rid of it is one of the biggest hurdles that you point out in terms of legislative risk, not so much that they'll change their mind, but the perception is that um, they may change their mind. The state actually uh, never stopped the program. They really uh, only attempted to balance the budget in the 2015 session and, and put a limit on how many credits were being redeemed. So um, we've, we've struggled as an industry for the last three years to, to uh, um, re rebut that misconception of, of a lack of confidence uh, at the legislative level um, due, to the, due to the perceived, um, at the public, both, both at the public and at the uh, entertainment industry level in the West Coast and other communities that, that somehow Louisiana um, is not in it for the long haul. The reality is that the state's spent well over $2 billion investing in this in this industry over the last 17 years, um, and as Trey pointed out, uh, supporting well over 14,000 jobs. So the, the state's investment is strong. The The 2017 legislative session proved that with a, with a, um, a modified uh, modification to the program that I would argue right-sized it, but it was one of the strongest, if not the strongest, uh, voted pieces of legislation in that session. I think that I'll probably get this off by a vote or two, but something like 89 to 8 in the House and 33 to 2 or 3 in the Senate. So um, the the legislature has proven its support. The governor continues to prove um, um, his support for the industry. But to really answer the question, the, the reality is yes. If, the, if there weren't an incentive, uh, production would not be at the levels that it's at today, and it wouldn't justify an infrastructure investment of the size and scope that, that I'm attempting. Um, uh, but the reality is that the business is here 
the, the genesis of the project, not unlike um, uh, Second Line where, where Trey um, uh, spends much of his time, is really supporting what was a billion dollars or a billion two of local um, in-state spending in, in the last five years. Maybe it's a little bit less than that, but still is nearly a billion dollar industry. And what, what we're providing at the studio level is infrastructure to, to, really, pro, to really support that level of production. So now we have great infrastructure, um, maybe the, the stability of the state uh, tax credits. But what about the financing? Does that come from here? Is it a is it West Coast thing or New York or what happens? Well, most of the uh, clients that come into the state are financed um, from at the studio level, as you know, Scott knows. I mean, those are the shows. My our clients at Second Line are primarily television, uh, TV shows, and those come um, from the studios. There's a whole other uh, tier of independent films um, that range anywhere from half a million dollars to twenty million dollars. And um, they can be financed whether there are some mechanisms here in the state to get financed, but a lot of times they're coming from outside as well. So one of the things we've been trying to encourage in the legislation as well that Scott mentioned in 2017 was expanding this tax credit program to uh, entice uh, more local investment. So we, we put things on the books for uh, uh, incentivizing for localized screenplays, uh, trying to press to push the, the program outside the bounds of New Orleans into other parts of the state so that other people have the opportunity to uh, consider investment in film. It's also a good way to get those other legislatures on your, on your side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think our program, Scott said it, you know, we, and you said it in the beginning, we've been pioneers of this program. And I feel like we've been quite smart because we have had to um, come in and regulate um, internally along in conjunction with our legislator to be um, create a program that's healthy and vibrant, but also is fiscally responsible to the state. And, and I, I, I will say something. Um, when you described the program in the beginning, you, you categorized it as a giveaway. And, and I don't think it's a giveaway. I think a giveaway is something that you just give away and you don't get anything in return. This program offers many, many uh, opportunities for return on investment um, at the local level, at the state level for the residents of Louisiana. It's creating jobs. Um, it, it, it induces spending in local communities. And so there, are, there is a, there, it's not just a giveaway, there's a give and take. Do you think they're not taking all that into account when they make statements like that? Uh, that, you know, it's, it was a, we didn't get a great return on our money. I mean, I always wondered, do they figure out all the ripple effects? I, I, think you, I think what they focus on is one part of the pie. And when you take the entire program in general, you see that its overall economic impact is about $4.56 for every dollar that's spent. And those are numbers that you that when you use the metric on how you evaluate businesses and their ROIs and their economic impact, those are the numbers that come back. And so that's what we like to see, and that's what we look at. You know, Louisiana is making an investment to create high-paying jobs for their residents and create opportunities for local businesses to have a new customer. And, but and, uh, to add, I. I Department of Commerce has identified production spending on uh, on a worldwide level as a as a you know an economic engine room or a, or a, uh, the the, the um, incentives that are regional and local drive levels of spending that that range everywhere from um, construction materials to induced tourism and the um, that are related to the eyes uh, that are watching the content and are maybe subliminally 
um, messaging those folks to spend, uh, to visit and spend tourist dollars. So it's a much broader conversation. The federal government, um, you know, has programs to also incentivize production to stay in the United States. Um, Forty of the 50 states, and it changes every year, so I probably am off by a state or two, have programs that, so the, so the United States in general identify production activity as a driver of local economy and, and um, uh, it, it does become a complicated conversation when trying to convince legislators who are struggling and grappling with budgetary issues, pure fiscal budgetary issues to be able to um, make sense of spending on economic development, whether it be in the motion picture business or, or motivating farm implements. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Scott Niemeyer, film producer and CEO and founder of Deep South Studios, and Trey Bravant, actor, writer, film producer, and director of Second Line Stages. Now, now Trey, uh, you have focused on the, the TV side of the business. So why? We started when we built Second Line in 2009. Um, at the time, our program uh, was attracting very large uh, studio pictures, and our first client was the Green Lantern. Um, and I, I guess in our heads we were thinking, well, we're, we, we built a f- movie studio. <laughs> we didn't think about television. Also, TV wasn't what it was 10 years ago. You still had these mid-tier, uh, most of the, the, the budgets of television shows were, were being used by feature films. And that's changed since Netflix and the disruptors came in and changed the entire paradigm of how we're ingesting content, technology, all of those things. Um, we gradually went through a, a period where when during that transition, television started looking towards these incentive states because they were starting to, to green light more television series. and. We got our first uh, show from Fox TV, American Horror Story, and we have been in the television realm six years running now at the studio. Um, what's great about television is that they tend to um, they tend to be repeat customers. Uh, they also tend to stay on the ground longer, meaning that a, a production cycle for TV could go for six to eight months versus, say, three to four months for a feature film. Um, and they tend to create, uh, they become more enmeshed in the local communities as well because a lot of people live here and it's more of a nine to, f- I mean, not nine to five job, but you can live in a community and work in television a lot easier than just bouncing around doing feature to feature to feature. When, when you have one client, uh, does that take up all the studio? Yes, we're a boutique studio. Okay. We, we, we um, at the time when we were looking at building a studio, there had been all of these big Taj Mahal big, huge, you know, uh, you know, 20 soundstage facilities being pitched, and our strategy was to come in at more of a middle market approach, basically build something that made sense, that could accommodate a certain level of client, and if we were successful, then we could expand if we needed to, um, since that's, that was our approach. So, yes, a, one television client will take up pretty much most of our footprint. And Scott, let me ask you, I've driven um, over the bridge, and I uh, see the facility. It's not doesn't look that done yet. Uh, is it? Is it? Uh, am I not seeing it right? No, no. And, and jogging back to your earlier question about financing, and uh, I don't know if that was meant to be more about project finance for the content, or, or project this? finance, or or construction finance. And those are obviously two different things uh, that at one point were incentivized differently in the state of Louisiana. Um, when Second Line and some of the other uh, infrastructure projects happened prior to 2010, there was an incentive to do that. That doesn't exist any longer and hasn't for almost a decade. So um, just for the record, there are no state incentives that are of material impact for the construction. Uh, So 
your observations are correct. We spent, um, uh, and this goes to the larger economic development um, uh, perspective and angle of the of, of the United States, looking to motivate um, the creation or the or the rebirth, I should, should call it, of, of neighborhoods that have been economically depressed or blighted. Um, we oriented the the studio in the and the studio location in the in a neighborhood in Algiers because of its um, distressed nature, and that is looking to take advantage of a larger program at the federal level called EB-5. That is an immigration program uh, administered by the USCIS, the Citizenship and Immigration Service under the Department of Homeland, and now, Homeland Security. And see if I remember how this works. If somebody wants, is it U.S. citizenship or visa, and they invest in the U.S.? Both. So there, it's a, it's a track to becoming... Um, nationalized a, a, a U.S. citizen, starting with the conditional residency or conditional visa um, that that gets satisfied when their investment of half a million or a million, depending on where the project is located, um, creates a requisite number of 10 jobs for Americans per investment unit of 500,000 or a million. And so it's the, the, the federal government through this program has been doing this for almost 25 years in this EB-5 program. So we have a component of that in our capital stack that's um, uh, become more challenging as the world economy has become more difficult and those were consumers, uh, um, wealthy consumers out of China primarily and those and the dynamics have changed there and what the People's Republic has allowed to, to flow out of the country in capital. But back to the, back to the question about your observation, you're, you're right. So the, the, the limitations to the program in 2015 um, made it, may, has made it more difficult to attract capital to an infrastructure project this size, not because the industry's not here, it's just because um, it did slow the industry's appetite for more tax credits uh, for a couple of years. And so we're, I believe, back on track. I'm highly optimistic we'll, we'll have the studio um, uh, completed within the next couple of years and and be at full capacity in fact we've got um, we've got designs on even greater expansion than just the just the initial campus and it's it's going to be one of the biggest ones around right it, it would be the largest in the state and really in the region um, there you'd have to go to Atlanta to find a uh, another facility of its size or to the east or to the west to Albuquerque New Mexico now Trey and Scott this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law you're finally on the way home from work when your phone rings it's your brother-in-law usually he only calls when he's trying to get a job for his neighbor's cousin who is an actress and a juggler but this time it's different this time your brother-in-law has a business idea for you and I'll start with Trey your brother-in-law says everybody knows New Orleans is a music town but there's no actual music business here not the same way that there is a film business your brother-in-law says if you use the the muscle of the Louisiana Film and Entertainment Association to focus on music and we got the same sort of tax credits to make records as we do to make movies we could have a giant recording industry here and all the ancillary business that goes with it like just like Nashville what do you tell your brother-in-law? Is he on to something? Yes. It's, it's funny. I had this conversation with um, uh, our interim film commissioner here in New Orleans yesterday. Uh, and it was funny because she was uh, talking about this. Uh, there is a push, I think, right now to, fig- to riddle that out. Why is it that New Orleans is a place for music, but it's not a place for music business? And, and I know that, that we're just now kind of wrapping our brain around how to take the model of film and apply that to music. Um, 
one of the things, and they're very, they, they, they work together. I mean, I think they do go hand in hand. Um, I would love to see that happen. And I do think my brother-in-law is onto something um, because I would think that the state would look at ways to incentivize that because we don't just have music here in New Orleans. Our entire state is known for music. And so it would be uh, an effort that I think would expand beyond the boundaries of New Orleans. And one of the things people say is that that side of the music business is really where the money is and the and the big jobs and such. We're giving that part away. Yeah, I had a, a dear friend of mine who's a really well-known musician here in New Orleans uh, years ago. Um, he, he was lamenting, saying, I don't know why I have to leave and go to Nashville to go write songs for everybody. When we've when and when they could just come to New Orleans and have everything that they need, he goes. He couldn't figure it out. And a similar kind of question is: Do in the beginning of the Hollywood South, they were saying a lot of production was still not being done here. It was done on the West Coast. Has that changed? Um, like the post the, uh, post oh post, post yeah post yeah. post production is 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 the big riddle, um, and it's had a hard time finding its footing primarily because. When the above-the-line creatives, the directors and the producers, if, they're, if they live in New York or they live in L.A. and they've been here for six months or four months filming, then whoever, the, all the, they go back home. And it's easier for them to spend, I mean, because post-production can go on for another four to five to six to ten months as well. Or years. Or years. <laughs> or years, yes. <laughs> or years. Exactly. And, and a lot of times the studios want that work done under their, under their nose. We've got to get them to move here. Yeah. Well, well, so just jumping across yeah. that, or or jogging back, um, to Trey's brother-in-law, uh, this both the city and the state. The state does have a small incentive for for recording, and it has a yes. medium incentive for live events. Um, so there are programs, statutory programs, on the books of the state that that are seven-figure programs, and the um, and the live events program is an eight-figure program that um, that do provide for incentives that are underutilized, interestingly. Um, and the city of New Orleans has recently taken on an initiative um, through GNO Inc. and, and um, uh, called NOME, the, the New Orleans Music Initiative. That's not the, yeah. uh, the E and the I, NOME, and, and has launched a study uh, of how to attract the industry, the music industry of intellectual, intellectual property rights management and um, are, are in the early stages of a I think it's a roughly a one-year exercise in evaluating and making direct recommendations to the city of New Orleans, uh, to and the state, I suppose, on how to how to more directly attract the the intellectual property rights management and the uh, recording industry and doing the job that that Nashville trying to mirror the job that Nashville has done so successfully over the last two decades. That's that's the, that's the answer you wanted. That, that, <laughs> I think it was a combo. It was great. I think. Scott, I'm not going to let you get off the hook. Your brother-in-law. Let's hear about Scott's brother-in-law <laughs> yes, he's What does Scott's brother-in-law want to do? Yeah, I have never met this guy. Uh, you're, you're, probably Scott has never met this guy. Fair your brother-in-law says he's got a great idea for a movie, a biopic about Professor Longhair. Professor Longhair was the greatest musician to ever come out of New Orleans, but there's never been a movie about him. He wrote the classic Mardi Gras song, Go to the Mardi Gras. He played at the very first Jazz Fest. This could be the most New Orleans movie of all time. What do you tell your brother-in-law? Could you make a Professor Longhair story into a movie? I think so. In fact, uh, there are conversations already swirling around as not just part of the of the initiative that I just spoke about, the NOME, but um, the tentacles that reach out from that 
to live performance and capturing a music economy that um, is steeped in history, like you're talking about, in, 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 in the historical figures in music that um, shape the shape the genres of music that we listen to today that go back 50 to 75 years in the Mississippi Delta's influence on um, not just blues but rock and roll and hip-hop and R&B and jazz and zydeco and and funk um, the, the the roots that that are, are planted in the Mississippi Delta in their tentacles uh, that's not a good metaphor the, the roots that have grown into you know, strong branches of, of music history, um, there are opportunities to tell those stories. And I think um, the, the, the more that we have put a spotlight on New Orleans um, as, a, as a regional mecca for, um, for sourcing musical talent uh, or, and showing the rest of the world that um, we're not just, just a place to, to source talent but also to, to grow an industry, I think the more opportunity there are to tell those stories in a commercial way. And then I uh, just think of Trey, what you said earlier. I mean, you see a movie like that, and people want to come be a part of it. So that tourism side is a big deal. Yeah, that that's another part of what what do you get back? What does the state get back in return? And you get, and I wouldn't say call it free advertising, but you get, you know, I'll use the term tentacles. You get the the sights and the sounds of different parts of Louisiana that are out across the world, and people watch a lot of TV. They really do. People, NCIS is New Orleans has been one of the top rated shows in CBS for almost five years. Um, I'm solving was, crimes now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, so you get to see you get to see these. And um, I mean, just recently there was a film uh, called Eli that filmed, and they filmed at the hanging prison in Beauregard Parish, um, uh, and so out in Deritter. So you have all of a sudden that is going to get some play out in the, in the theaters. And so th- that type of advertising, I mean, if you th- I was thinking about this on the way here, um, because before technology, before film was, was, it used to be big and heavy, right? Big, heavy cameras and big, heavy lights. And so they were focused on, the, they were in these two coasts because you couldn't, it took, it cost a lot of money to haul all that stuff around. Um, but now that it's so fast and so light, and you've got film production can happen anywhere, um, you think about all of the stories that were in New York and L.A. because that's where all the movie makers were. And now these stories, and New Orleans is becoming a place for those stories to be, to be had and to be filmed. So, In a country that continues to become more fractured politically, economically, racially, and really just about any other metric you can measure, we're still all watching the same movies, even TV, which used to be central to our lives when we all watched the same news or the same shows, like Seinfeld has become fractured and individualized. When it comes to movies, though, there's still only one industry. Uh, Trey and Scott, you and a handful of your colleagues are responsible for bringing a slice of that singular movie business to New Orleans and Louisiana, and in doing so, you're giving us a voice and a place in one of the last remaining avenues of shared American experience. Thanks for that, uh, for all the businesses you're bringing our way, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Enjoy being here. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Trey Bervon, creator and studio director at Second Line Stages, and Scott Niemeyer, CEO and founder of Deep South Studios. You can find out more about Trey's and Scott's adventures in the screen trade by following the links on our website, it's neworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify 
and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and, you know, got to put the camera on you guys some point here, you can find photos in this show on itsneworleans.com and on It's New Orleans Facebook page and on Instagram. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast, and by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world.